So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 17 through chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And um, the title of the message this morning is Living Epistles. Living Epistles. So earlier this week, I was actually um, going through my Instagram account, just looking at different pictures, and I came across this uh this picture of um, a church marquee sign. You know, churches have their big old marquee signs in front of their, their buildings. And it was actually a very funny sign. And um, I think the, the user that posted the picture was from a user named uh, Christian Memes. But uh, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of really interesting uh, church marquee signs out there. You know, people put some very inter- interesting things on their marquee signs. And I just wanted to share a couple with you that I came across uh, just on social media. One church sign said, uh, keep using my name in vain, I'll make rush hour longer, uh, sign God. Uh, another church sign said, forgive your enemies, it messes with their heads. Um, another church sign said, church parking only, violators will be baptized. Another one said, whoever stole our AC units, our AC units, keep one, it is hot where you are going. Um, another one said, honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. Um, another one said, don't make me come down there, sign God. And then the last one said, now is a good time to visit. Our pastor is on vacation. So when you think about these church signs, these marquee signs, they leave an impression on the person that reads it or the people that are passing by. And believe it or not, as believers, all of us in this room, the Bible talks about us as being these advertisements. We're kind of like these marquee signs. Um, As people see us, they read us every single day. We're these living epistles. We're these living letters of recommendation for the faith is what the Bible tells us. And every single day, people are reading us. They're seeing us, how we react, how we behave. It's usually in trials, I think, when we can display the most that the Lord has taught us or our faith. That's when our faith is tested in difficult times. But in the word of God, we're described as these living epistles, these living letters of recommendation. So in our study this morning, there are three things that we're going to look at. Number one, we're going to look at the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Uh, Number two... We're going to look at the fact that we are living letters of recommendation. We are living letters of recommendation. And then number three, we're going to look at what attracts people to Jesus. What attracts people to Jesus? So before we get into the actual study, let me open up in a word of prayer uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to come here together, Lord, to hear from you. We pray this morning that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you, Lord, that your word would change us, that it would just help us to be a better example, a better representation of your son, Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, um, we'll be in the second letter to the Corinthians once again. But as you remember from the first letter to the Corinthians, in that letter, once again, remember Paul He wrote this letter during his second missionary journey. He wrote to this church body that he fathered. Um, You can read more about that in Acts chapter 18. But he was addressing a lot of issues. It was a very carnal group of believers, of Christians. There was a lot of division. There was sexual immorality taking place there in the church. 
Um, there was an abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There was a lack of love for one another. There was a lot of issues taking place. So Paul addresses those issues in the first letter. And in the second letter to the Corinthians, um, Paul is addressing a lingering issue of false teachers that have penetrated into the church, uh, so-called Judaizers, which were mixing law and mixing grace. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit here. But getting into the study now here in um, 2 Corinthians, the first thing we're going to look at is the Great Commission. Not the Great Suggestion, uh, but the Great Commission, what the Lord has commanded us to do. Now, as many of you all already know, um, you know, Angel and Robin have been talking about this a lot, but we've had the opportunity as a church to go and to minister at a local elementary school. And this is kind of a big deal because usually the public school systems don't like to invite churches in and to share the love of Jesus Christ. So the past six weeks, we're on a break right now, but over the past six weeks, uh, we've gone to uh, Newman Elementary, which is the elementary school that's just um, right next to Andrews High School. And we've gone there, we've had the opportunity to share a Bible study, uh, we've played games with the kids, we've ministered to the kids. It's been a real blessed time. Uh, those kids are thirsty for the Lord, they're hungry for, for something, um, as many of us are, right? We want to fill those voids with things of this world, but really only Jesus can fill those things. But anyways, we've had the opportunity to go there, to share Jesus Christ, and I rem remember the very first time we went there, it was um, in December of last year, December of 2018, we had, um, we had a Christmas party. We called it a backwards Christmas party because obviously the gift is Jesus Christ onto us, right? Um, that's the greatest gift we could ever receive. So we shared with them uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And when you think about the Gospel of Luke, the main event in the Gospel of Luke is obviously the birth of Jesus Christ. And if you think back to the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 1, remember the Word of God tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, um, what we see is that there's three individuals that testify of Jesus. Number one, we see the shepherds, right? Remember the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And then we have an individual named Simeon, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. And then we have another individual named Anna in uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. And there are three things that take place in the lives of these individuals. Number one, they see salvation. They all see salvation. The shepherds see Jesus in the manger. Simeon and Anna see Jesus in the temple there in Jerusalem. If you remember when Mary and Joseph go and dedicate baby Jesus to the Lord. Secondly, we see that these individuals give thanks to the Lord upon seeing Jesus or seeing salvation. The shepherds glorified and they praised the Lord, right? For all that they had seen and all that they had heard is what the word says. And also Simeon blessed the Lord and Anna gave thanks to the Lord. The third thing we see with all these individuals is that they told others about what they had seen, what they had heard. And the shepherds made it widely known about this child. Simeon prophesied to Mary and to Joseph and Anna prophesied to those that were looking for the redemption of Israel. 
So similarly, as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I, as Christians, all of us in this room, if you're in Christ, we have seen salvation. And you think to yourself, oh wait, I haven't seen Jesus face to face. We haven't seen him face to face. However, when you put your faith in Jesus, you believe that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead three days later. You put your faith in that message. You ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. There's an element of repentance in your life. Um, that has allowed us to see salvation because salvation has come into our lives. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives, begins to rule in our lives, and change us and shape us. And not to mention, we get into the Word of God every single day. Every single day as we get into His Word, we see Him. We see the Lord more clearly, clearly rather, every single time we read His Word. Now, now that we've seen salvation, I'm, I'm sure all of us in this room are very thankful to the Lord because of Jesus. We have a hope. We have a future in Him. Um, the thing now is we've seen salvation, we thank the Lord for, for salvation, but now it's a matter of telling others about this salvation, the hope and the future um, that we have in Jesus Christ. And we need to make a way for his second coming, just like John the Baptist made a way for his first coming. And the Lord commands us, doesn't he, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Lord says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel um, to every creature. So this is what the Great Commission is. This is what the Lord has commanded us to do as believers. We've seen salvation. We thank the Lord for it. Now it's time to make it widely known, to tell everyone about what the Lord has done in our lives. So the second thing this morning is that we are living letters of recommendation. We are living epistles or living letters of recommendation. So before we can vocalize the gospel, we have to live the gospel. We have to live like the Lord desires us to live. And when you think about the Great Commission, I think about this in my own life. You know, we don't always have the opportunity to share the gospel with everybody we meet. That's not usually the first thing that comes up in a conversation. Um, however, we want to live the gospel. We may have the opportunity to live a life that represents Jesus Christ. And I love what Pastor Greg Laurie once said. He said, our lives are the only Bible some people will ever read. Christians are to be living epistles written by God and read by men. And Paul writes about this here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. He writes, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So once again, Paul here in this second letter, he's addressing this issue of false teachers in the church in Corinth. We had these individuals that were coming in and telling the Corinthians that they couldn't come to Jesus unless they fulfilled the law of Moses first. They were mixing law and they were mixing grace. And Paul needed to address this issue. 
these individuals were also peddling the word of God. In other words, they were trying to make money off of this false ministry. They were also trying to promote themselves. And Paul needed to address this issue immediately because many of the Corinthians were being led astray. Now, when you think about this, um, Paul also shares here these letters of commendation. And in that time, it wasn't uncommon for Christians to go around with these epistles of commendation or these letters of recommendation. They would say like, the apostle so-and-so has sent me. Basically, they would validate their ministry as apostles. And unfortunately, some of these false teachers also had some of these letters that were written for them, um, validating their false ministry. But Paul tells the Corinthians here that he didn't need any of these letters. You know, Paul wasn't there to promote himself or to make any money off of this ministry that the Lord had given him. And these individuals, the Corinthians, were his letter of commendation or recommendation. Their lives validated Paul's ministry as an apostle. And I like how G. Campbell Morgan puts it. He says, they were the epistle or a letter of Christ. The author and the writer of the living epistle is Christ. The pen or instrument is the apostle Paul. The ink or means of accomplishing the revelation is the spirit. So once again, the lives of these individuals that were changed because of the Lord they validated Paul's ministry as an apostle. So the Lord truly was doing a work through Paul in the lives of the Corinthians. So if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, here we see an example of this. Here Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So here, Paul talks about what the Corinthians used to look like, but in Christ, they look very different. And this change in their lives once again validates Paul's ministry as an apostle for the Lord. So the biggest thing we can show for a life in Jesus Christ is changed lives, a changed life. And um, our testimonies, which you know is the fruit of true repentance, um, it, it gives a really big statement. Now, in reading this from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, you know, in this statement here, where it talks about, it lists individuals that will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, I think about this verse, you know, nowadays, people like to dismiss this verse, and they say, you know, the word of God needs to change with the times. But the truth of the matter is, we need to change to the word of God. The word of God does not need to change. The word of God will never change. It will always stand. So, we have to be careful with um, progression in the church, right? There shouldn't be any type of progression when it comes to the Word of God. The Word of God will stand and it will stay forever. But going back to our lives, our changed lives, the fruit of true repentance. So repentance, when you think about that word, it's turning from the original direction that you're going. I like to think of it this way. So instead of going this way, I'm going to go that way now. So like a 180 degree turn from the original direction that I'm going. And when I think about repentance, 
there are three things that come to my mind. Number one, I think of confession. So I think of First uh, John chapter 1, verse 9, right? That Christian bar of soap. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Secondly, we should also have a contrite heart. A contrite heart. So a crushed heart. We're, we're sorry enough to stop doing what we're doing. We're not just sorry because, you know, we got caught or um, we got in trouble. And then thirdly, there needs to be a conversion. Um, going back to that 180 degree turn. So you're going in the opposite direction that you were originally going in. So when it comes to true repentance in our lives, the Lord examines your heart. He doesn't examine your lip service or um, just the outward appearance. He looks at our hearts. He looks at our hearts and he knows our hearts better than we even know our own hearts. And if your heart changes, that'll take care of the rest. It'll take care of your character. It'll take care of your behavior. It'll take care of your life. This living epistle, this living letter of recommendation for the faith. And when I think about repentance, um, it often reminds me of David. In uh, Psalm 51, if you remember there, uh, David writes in regards to his adultery with Bathsheba. And remember, he murdered um, her husband to cover this up. And then he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. So in Psalm 51, in verses 16 through 17, um, David writes to the Lord, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken or a shattered spirit, a broken or a shattered and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So here we see a heart truly repenting of sin. Here David committed murder, adultery, and uh, tried to cover um, this up. He lied as well. And uh, truly his, um, his broken heart, his contrite heart, and his willingness to repent, to turn away from those things, that's what the Lord looks for uh, when we repent of our sin. And I love what Bob Hoekstra once said. He said, God never intended us to meet him in salvation and then be strangers until we stand before him in glory. So we don't ever want to you know, come to the Lord and then step away from him and then just expect to see him again when we leave this earth. Okay, when we invite the Lord into our lives, there should be a change in our lives. There should be some element of um, evidence that we are born again in Christ Jesus. So once again, our testimonies are a very powerful thing. All of us in this room, if you're in Christ this morning, um, you have a testimony. And that testimony is unique to you. There's nobody on the face of the planet that has ever or will ever have the same testimony that you have or that I have. And nobody can take that away from you. And when I think about this second letter here to the Corinthians, you know, I think about Paul, for example. I mean, that guy, his life was truly a changed life. Paul was a terrorist. I mean, this guy terrorized the early church. Then he was called Saul of Tarsus. If you remember, when he was on his way to Damascus to drag back Christians, early church Christians, to Jerusalem um, for persecution and chains, that's what he was planning on doing. He had this um, experience there in Damascus, right? He was blinded by the Lord and the Lord. He had this experience and the Lord converted him there. And it's interesting because he was initially on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, but he ended up going to Damascus um, as an advocate for Jesus. 
And if you remember, there in the book of Acts, in chapter 9, um, Paul had to leave Damascus in a basket inside, um, a little basket, well, not a little basket, but he was inside of a basket through a hole in the wall there in Damascus um, because of his conversion. A lot of people wanted to kill Paul because of these things. And when you think about that, that changed life, just like Paul and the Corinthians Our lives are these living letters of recommendation for the faith. People are reading us every single day. And when I think about this um, in my own life, you know, I'm I'm very grateful for what the Lord has done for me. You know, my life before um, allowing the Lord to truly become the king of my life, uh, my life was just all about school. My life was all about academia. I, I wanted to be a great scientist. I wanted to change the world as a great scientist. That's what I wanted to do. But then I invited the Lord into my life, and he changed my heart. And the Lord still wanted me to change the world. However, he wanted me to change the world through his son, Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that education and becoming a great scientist, that those are bad things. But when you do those things for yourself and not for the Lord, that's when it becomes a bad thing. And if you're struggling right now, maybe you're being led to do something new in your life right now. What you want to do is make sure you ask the Lord first, because being in God's perfect will is the safest place to be. And the Lord will direct you. He'll guide you and um, whatever he desires you to do, because he needs his saints everywhere, um, not just in the church. You know, he, he needs his saints um, in different places, different jobs, different things, all of those things that allow us to meet on common ground with everyone around us. That way we can channel the love of Jesus Christ. You know, Pastor Chuck Smith used to always say, um, you have one life that will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. And that's so true because everything that we do, if it's not for, for the Lord, um, it, it's going to be pretty useless, right? Whatever we do every single day, whether it's going to work, um, even picking up trash, we want to do it for the glory of the Lord, all for the Lord and not for ourselves or for anything else. And In order for that to happen, I think we have to continuously evaluate our lives, right? Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, there in verse 12. And we have to read our letters, we have to read our lives, and just really examine what our lives are showing, what our lives are saying um, to the people that are around us. And I remember a few years ago, I took a, um, a group of, um, I took a youth group down to a conference. It was actually in Colorado Springs. Um, it was called the Desperation Conference. I remember I was really stressed out because I had a car full. Were you at the Desperation Conference? At Life Church, right? Um, I had a group of um, young adults in my car. Like, nobody wanted to wear their seatbelt. They wanted me to drive fast. But I was like, okay. <laughs> so anyways, we got there. Uh, we drove there from Fort Collins. And um I remember, I think it was, I don't know who said this, but they said, you know, how are we supposed to win the world for Christ if we look and we act like the world, right? If we look and we act like the world does, how are we supposed to be different and appealing to people if we look just like them, we act just like them, right? Um, So we have to be very careful. And I think the thing is, we have to be radical for the Lord. You know, you think about the world today and people right now are just radical for so many different things. They're radical for gun laws, they're radical for abortion, they're radical for a man or for a woman that's in the White House. When in actuality, we just have to be radical for the Lord. And when I think about scripture, one person that comes to my mind is John the Baptist. And I mean, that guy was pretty radical. Um, Some say he was maybe a little out there. He's a little weird. You know, you think about John the Baptist 
Um, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, the Word of God tells us he had a very interesting way of dressing, had a very interesting diet. You know, he was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt. He ate locusts and he ate honey. And, you know, often when I think about John the Baptist, I think of like a hippie from Boulder or maybe like a hippie from Austin or something. But um, he was just a little out there. But he was on fire for the Lord, making a way for his first coming. And there were two elements to his ministry in Luke chapter 3. Number one, he preached repentance. And number two, he also baptized, right, which is this outward symbol of repentance or what, would ha- what has happened in your life in Jesus Christ. It's this outward symbol. Now, repentance then and even now, I think is a very unattractive word for people, a very unattractive thing for people because repentance requires action. It requires change in our lives in order to repent. And I think um, in terms of change, a lot of times we don't like change, right? It's inconvenient. It's annoying. It's not part of my schedule. But remember, the biggest way we can show a life in Jesus Christ is a change in our lives. And the only way that can happen is we truly repent of the things that did not glorify the Lord in our lives. And a lot of times we say, oh, I can't stop doing that. I have to keep doing those things. Or um, the biggest issue, and I know this because I've struggled with this before, is that we, we think that certain things in our lives um, validate who we are or they give us a self-worth or our purpose. We, we put our self-worth and our purpose in certain things in our lives that we can't let go of. And um, only those voids we know now can only be filled with Jesus and not necessarily with certain things in our lives. And I remember I would always tell, um, and I used to do youth group, I used to always tell these young people, you know, what you are worth, it's found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in anything else. And I think, um, you know, the world today, it, it tells our youth, it tells everybody, you know, what you are worth is found in your looks, it's found in the amount of money you make, it's found in the car you drive, you know, how many people follow you on Snapchat or Instagram or Periscope. Do people, I don't do people still use Periscope or is that like MySpace? I know MySpace is dead, uh, but MySpace was, a lot of creepy people were on MySpace. But anyways, um, that is not where your worth is found in any of those things. Um, it doesn't matter. What you are worth, what I am worth is found in Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about John the Baptist, once again, this guy was pretty radical. He was a little out there. Um, He preached this unusual message of repentance. He was baptizing. Um, But what's interesting about him is that he didn't preach in the temples. He didn't perform any types of miracles. He didn't do any of those things. But yet people were attracted to John the Baptist. So you ask yourself the question, what attracted people to John the Baptist? And I truly believe it was this message that God had given to him, a message of hope. Because a lot of this, these people then and even now, um, they weren't satisfied in their current state. And this was a message of hope for them. Now, unfortunately, there were a lot of people that were following John the Baptist. They wanted salvation. However, they didn't want to repent. They wanted to continue living in the way that they were um, in the current time. And you see that today, right? People don't want to change. They want to go to heaven, but they don't want to change their lives. And um, that's um, counterintuitive, I think. Now, as believers, we want to be different from the world around us. We want to go against the flow. And when I think about going against the flow, a picture that comes to my mind is, is um, actually salmon. You know, when salmon spawn or they lay their eggs, and salmon will probably know a lot about this, 
they go upstream, don't they? They go upstream and lay their eggs in the shallow waters and the gravel, the little gravel um, accumulations. And often you see salmon swimming upstream up waterfalls. And that's how we should be as believers. Literally, the world is this waterfall and we're swimming upstream. We're going against the flow. And that's how we should live our lives as believers because we want to be different because we're in Christ. We're not of, we're not of the world, but we're in the world. And it's hard because even as Christians, there's a lot of liberties in our lives, liberties that sometimes we don't want to give up. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 12, Paul talks about this. Not all of the liberties that we have are profitable to us, right? We don't want to be mastered or under the influence by anything. And I find it interesting that nowadays people are so eager to brag about sin in their life. And even believers too, sometimes they brag about sinful things that they do in their life. And we have to be very careful. Um, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. once said, We live in a society today that's all for getting loud about their sin, but we live so quiet about our salvation. And we certainly don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to give people um, the opportunity to say, you know, your God is weak and hypocritical because I've met such a person. We want to be very careful that we represent the Lord um, in the appropriate way. And when I think about this in my own life and the fact that I'm a living epistle and that you all are also living epistles, letters of recommendation for the faith, you know, I think back to um, that dreadful English class. I, I never excelled in English for some reason. To this day, I can't diagram a sentence. You can ask me what a pronoun is. I have no idea. But um, anyways, um, our lives are these letters, right? And in English class, when you write a paragraph, you write a letter, you write something, you revise it, right? You, you change the punctuations, you move sentences out. And that's what we need to do with our lives as well. We need to remove those run-on sentences, right? Those strongholds in our lives. We need to change the punctuation, take those uh, sinful habits out of our lives. We need to rearrange the paragraphs. We need to add things to our lives that are in the likeness of Jesus and remove things that are in the likeness of the world in our lives. And ultimately, our letters need to read like the Word of God, because in the Word of God, the only living representation we have of God the Father is His Son, Jesus. Remember, He tells Philip this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Now, we want our letters to look like Jesus, but the next question is, what was it about Jesus that attracted people to Him? So that's our third point this morning. What attracts people to Jesus? What attracts people to Jesus? Now, I remember asking uh, this question to some young adults, you know, what is it about Jesus that you think attracted people to Jesus? So they thought about it. And of course, some of the things they said were, well, it was the, the miracles, it was the healings, it was his compassion, it was his love. And then um, I asked them, this is a group of young adults, college age group, I said, what, what, do you think it was all the free food? You know, all the free food that Jesus um, had, you know, you think about multiplying the fish and the loaves and they're like yeah yeah it was a free food and of course you think about college kids and they're always starving so of course they were going to go for the free food but interestingly if you look at isaiah 53 verse 2 isaiah 53 verse 2 here isaiah gives us this prophetic um description of jesus and there in isaiah 53 verse 2 it says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance Nothing to attract us to him. So what we see here is that Jesus, there was nothing about him physically that would attract people to him. So you think to yourself, so then what attracted people to Jesus? 
Now remember, as the, the word of God tells us in John chapter 14, Jesus was the only living representation of God the Father. But if you look at 1 John 4, 8, the Bible tells us that God is love. So because Jesus is the only living representation of God the Father, then Jesus too is love, right? And that word love there in 1 John 4 is that agape love, that sacrificial love. And out of that sacrificial love came the healings, came the miracles, came the compassion, the free food, came ultimately the willingness for Jesus to surrender to the will of his Father and to go to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of anyone who will believe um, now and in the future. And surely when you think about that love, that agape love, when you think about that in your life, you know, that love is only attainable by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's that love that allows us to revise our lives, these living letters of recommendation for the faith. Because if you don't love God, you're not going to change for God. You're not going to be obedient to God's word. And that's the truth of the matter. And um, in my life, I know that if I didn't have a relationship with God, how, was I, how am I supposed to trust God and be obedient to God? So as we grow in our love for God, it's easier for us to be obedient to him and remove all those things out of our lives. So that way our lives look more like Jesus. And also that love that he's so freely given to us is a love that we too need to give to everyone around us. First Peter 4 verse 8, here Peter writes, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. So the love there, the love that he's speaking of there, once again, is that agape love in the Greek. So what Peter is saying here is that when a brother or a sister sins, whether it's against you or they're just, um, there's sin in their life, our love for them allows us to overlook those things, to forgive them if the sin is against you, or to not gossip about their sin or make it public. Ultimately, the individual does have to confess their sin to God because only the blood of Jesus can cover their sins. But our love for them allows us to overlook those things in their lives, just like Jesus has overlooked the sin in our lives. Because we still fall short of God's glory every single day, right? We're not perfect. We're still in the flesh. So when we do that, when we allow the, the love of Jesus Christ to change us and to shape us, and we use that love to share it with others, um, that allows us to read more like Jesus Christ. So... In closing this morning, there are four things I want us to remember. Um, four tools that we can use to continue revising our living letters of recommendation and our lives for Jesus Christ. Um, you know, in order to look like Jesus, we have to know what he looks like, right? So we need to seek the Lord's face. How do we do that? Number one, we have the word of God. The word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And all of his promises are in his word. All the things that he has done and is yet to do, they're in his word. And in 1 Corinthians 13, um, there it describes the word of God as the mirror of God's word. And in God's word, every time we get into his word, we see him a little bit more clearly. Until one of these days, there's going to be no barriers and we're going to see him face to face. But every time we get into God's word, we see him a little bit more clearly every single day. God's word gives us peace during our darkest hours. God's word will always have something for us, whether you're going through um, a hard time, um, a sickness, an illness, or maybe you're going through a joyful time in your life. The word of God will always have something for us, and we need to know his word intimately.
Secondly, we have the power in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 um, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not to be filled or drunk with the things of this world in which there is dissipation. We always want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not under the influence of other things. Remember in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus was filled and led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And there he was tempted by the enemy. But because he was filled and led by the Holy Spirit, he was able to escape um, the tactics of the enemy. And the same spirit that was in Jesus and in the apostles is the same spirit that's in all of us in this room if you're in Christ this morning. Um, and it's, he is accessible to us anytime. Sometimes we need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And all you have to do is simply ask God to do that and he will do it. Thirdly, we have prayer. And remember, this is our communication with the Lord. Um, this is one way that the Lord can also reveal himself to us. This is our dependence on the Father. And I know sometimes we think to ourselves that our prayers are insignificant, that the Lord's not hearing our prayers, they're not relevant. But the truth of the matter is the Lord hears us. And, you know, I think about Peter, for example. Remember when Peter was sinking in the, um, the Sea of Galilee in that big storm? And um, he calls out to the Lord, save me, Lord, those three words. And what does the Lord do? He saves Peter. So sometimes we think our prayers are insignificant or they're too short or, or whatever we think in our own mindset. But really the Lord hears us. And he knows our needs before we even come before him with our needs. And we can pray from, from anywhere. Remember Daniel prayed from the lion's den. Um, Jonah, as we learned a few weeks ago uh, when uh, we were in Jonah, um, he prayed from the belly of a large fish. Uh, Peter, once again, he prayed sinking in the uh, Sea of Galilee. And if you pray and nothing happens, just keep praying. <laughs> keep praying because God's timing is always perfect. Uh, God's timing is, my timing is never God's timing. Um, and I think that's something that we learn as believers, uh, just to wait on the Lord. And fourthly is fellowship. Fellowship with other believers. This is so important. We need each other. Believe it or not, we need one another to encourage one another and to be there for one another, to pray for one another, to check on one another. And 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul talks about this, where sometimes the Lord allows us to go through different circumstances and the same comfort and the same lessons that he has taught us through those things, we can share with other people that are going through similar circumstances. And that way we can encourage people as they continue walking with the Lord and running this race together. So these tools, we have the Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit, we have prayer, and we have fellowship. These four tools, these four elements will help us to continue revising and shaping our letters of recommendation for the faith. These living epistles for the Lord. Because I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In verses 15 through 16, here he says that wherever we go, we want to leave behind that beautiful fragrance of Jesus Christ. And certainly that's what we want to leave behind. We want people to see Jesus working in our lives. That way we can hopefully be used to win many, many more uh, for Jesus so they can come to a knowledge of hope and a future in um, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And Lord, we pray that you continue to just revise our lives, Lord, these living epistles, these living letters of recommendation for, your, for you, Lord God, for a life in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, that 
whatever it is that we are struggling with right now because we are all going through something, Lord. We pray that you continue to strengthen us and to guide us and to lead us because you're bigger than everything, Lord God. You're bigger than any problem we may be having right now. And Lord, we pray that you continue to help us with this um, journey that you have us on. Help us to be an example. Help us to be a blessing to everyone around us. We pray that you uh, bring uh, Pastor Angel and his family back home safely. Um, and we just thank you so much for everything that you're doing here at Fresh Vision Church. And we pray for our nation. We pray for believers that are persecuted right now, Lord God. We pray that you just have your way and you continue to just um, guide us and lead us and remind us, Lord, daily that you are still on the throne regardless of what's going on in our lives. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.